So, four-week series on the book of First Peter. So, so guess who wrote the book? Wow. You guys are sharp. You guys are good. You're on point this morning. Now, who is Peter? Peter, you know, you, you often think about Peter and people talk about Peter. And, and, and Peter, you know, oftentimes he's described as an uneducated fisherman. He didn't have any formal training. It's not like, you know, he graduated high school and went to seminary. He, this guy was just, you know, he was just a regular guy. Um, and, 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 you know, part of his personality trait, he was very outspoken. He was very rambunctious, spontaneous. He didn't have much of a filter. He just called it like he sees it. I love people like that. The ones that don't have a filter, they just, you know, <laughs> just spit it out. Um, but that was Peter. Peter was quick-tempered. He was like, you know, a guy's guy. When, when things had to happen, he was, he was, he was right there, always, always on the move. And, 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 and the fact of the matter is, I, a lot of people, some of the sharpest people that I've ever come across, never really had a formal education. Huh? He was, he was a sharp dude. This guy was a business owner. He wasn't just a fisherman. He owned boats. Not just one, but several. He had business partners. This guy was a leader, just a natural-born leader. And, and Peter, believe it or not, for being one of, you know, a, a guy without a formal education, he actually wrote some of the heavier, weightier things of Scripture, theological, spiritual things that, that are difficult to grasp. In fact, he, he spoke about election. He spoke about having foreknowledge. He spoke about sanctification, the process of becoming holy. He spoke about obedience and, and the blood of Christ. He, he wrote about the Trinity and that triune, hypostatic union of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three personalities, but one entity working together in these personalities. Peter had, had an understanding of that. He, he wrote about grace and revelation and two of the common themes that continue in the book of, of 1 Peter is that of hope and the fact that we are to be different. Now, we need to kind of set the stage here a little bit to, to really understand what he was writing. We got to understand uh, the times and the seasons that they were living in. First Peter was written um, somewhere between 60 and 65 A.D. during the reign of Nero. How, how many people have ever heard of the emperor Nero? Nero, one of one of, one of the more famous uh, 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 Roman emperors at, 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 at the time, and um, he was a bad dude. Like, like I mean, he was just twisted. This dude was evil, wicked, dark, treacherous. I, I, I just want to kind of just give you an idea as to what these guys were dealing with. I mean, this guy Nero, guess what? He, had a, he was adopted. His mom was also a real conniver. And so she made it where through his adoption for him to come in and take the reign to become the heir where, where his stepbrother would have been the true heir, Britannicus. And you know what Nero did? He had Britannicus killed. He had his mom then killed. Huh? He orchestrated that. He not only killed his stepbrother, not only had his mother killed, but then he also had his first wife killed. And as history teaches and tells us, he even had his second wife killed. Treacherous. This dude was so twisted. History tells us that it's attributed to him that the entire city of Rome was burned down. He started a fire in the city that burned for six days. And uncontrollably, everything was just being consumed by fire. After about six days, they felt that they all had control of this fire. But then it was restarted somehow for about another three days. Why, why, why'd he burn, why, why would he burn the city of Rome down? 
he got so caught up in edifying and building structures and he wanted to continue to build and build and build and the senate began to block him like we, we we're, we're as big as it's gonna be and and so what he thought was you know what you ain't gonna let me continue to build then i'm gonna burn everything down so that i can build from scratch this is how he thought twisted twisted mind but that didn't go too well for him guess what he started the fire and he caught a lot of heat so what i did there he started that fire and then he caught a lot of heat for it and so they started to blame him and come after him for it and so what he do took that took the blame and deflected he found a small group of people that were very passionate and were already being identified and set aside. They already had a certain amount of hatred for them because they, they lived differently. In fact, they even, started, they even called them a name. They started giving them a name, these, these Christ followers or these Christians because they were the people of the way. They, they had a way of life that was different than the way they lived. They operated differently. They moved differently. They treated each other differently. And oftentimes, not for nothing, when you're really good, when you're really good, when the light of Christ begins to truly uh, uh, illuminate your life and, 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 and that love begins to pour out, for whatever reason, the people of the world wind up having this hatred towards you. Like, like you just rub them the wrong way. What she got so happy about? I just all of this murmuring and grumbling, and why? Because I'm happy, and you're not. <laughs> so they turned around, and he picked out these sect, and so he he blamed these fires upon the Christians. He was so twisted. He began to take these Christians these people of the way, these Christ followers. And his entertainment, he began, he, he would take um, animals, right? Lions and, and, and what have you, lionesses, and he would kill these animals and skin them and take the skins of these animals and, and clothe these Christians, put it on them as cloaks and put them in bullpens in these cells. And he would then let, uh, uh, wild dogs into the, into that into the cells to maul these Christians as he sat back drinking his wine and just entertainment. He was also known for the uh, in regards to these fires. He would he would take the Christians, believers, family. This is people like you and me, our children, our brothers and sisters, us in community. That he would take us and, and pour hot wax on us. Tie you, to the, tie you to trees and set the trees on fire. Human candles to illuminate the night sky as he would sit back and party with his friends and dignitaries. This is the type of persecution. This is the type of sickness that the Christians, these early martyrs, had to endure. Who is this message for this morning? This message is for two groups of people. Are you going through a trial? Are you going through a difficult time, a difficult moment in your life? This message is for those who are hurting facing various trials or difficulties in life. I don't know what you're going through. Um, maybe, maybe you've been trying to conceive a child and, and haven't been able to. Maybe there's a financial obstacle. Or you're struggling to pay your bills. Maybe you lost a job and, and, and lost your way of, of, of being able to make ends meet. Maybe it's a health ailment. What is your trial this morning, church? Maybe it's a child who has made unwise decisions and you try to counsel him and, and he's not listening. Rebellious, making you feel helpless. 
Perhaps it's a hidden addiction or an emotional, psychological turmoil. Depression and anxiety has right now a grip upon humanity. This message is for you. This message is for you. The other group of people that this message is for is for those who are getting ready to face a trial. That would pretty much mean all of us. <laughs> all of us. Because listen, life is what life is, and it rains on the just and the unjust alike, and we go through cycles. And so if we're not about to go into a trial, you're probably in the middle of a trial. And if you're not in the middle of the trial, you're probably on your way out of a trial. But at some point or another, life has a way of coming up with the unexpected. Amen? What's most emotional in Peter's writing is that he's speaking to those who are going through inexpressible suffering. In fact, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, uh, New Living Translation states, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the insight that you have left us in regards to walking this spiritual walk. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to forgive us of our sins, that gives us an opportunity to come back and have right communion with you, O oh God, a union in common that we can come and, and approach your throne of grace and in all of your holiness and in all of your glory, O oh God, where we would normally be consumed. We thank you for the privilege, O oh God, of being called your children, your sons and daughters. And so I pray, oh, Father God, that the word that you have for this congregation, Lord, be delivered in such a way that it would pierce up to the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit, oh, God. Have your way, oh, God. Don't allow anyone who walked through these doors exit the same condition that they came in. But bring forth the transformation and the edifying, oh, God, that you have planned and purposed for this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. So this is for God's chosen people. This message is for his elect. And it says that we are living as foreigners. Huh? Foreigners. Parapid emois. Parapid emois is the Greek word. And it can be translated as Exiles. In fact, it's used in the Old Testament for Israel who was exiled, living as strangers, as sojourners, as aliens, foreigners in a land, having temporary residency. They were aliens. Amen? And, and what's really, what we have to get a grasp of is the fact that here where we live, this is not your home. This is not your home. What's the average life expectancy of a man? 70, 75? Huh? We are here before a hot minute. In fact, the, the Bible calls it a sigh. That's, how, that's the impact that we have, our lives have here on this earth. It's but a vapor. It's but a vapor. 70 years goes like this. I'm looking back at my life, 44 years, hon. Huh? We've been married 20, 19. We're going to be 20 years married. Is it? <laughs> Holy cow, where has the time gone? Life happens just like that.
And the fact of the matter is that you can't avoid the inevitable. We are all going to die. You're going to die. It's appointed to every man. Huh? Appointed every man. His time and then judgment. And because you are not from here, you shouldn't live like those that are here. As followers of Jesus, we are to be different. Foreigners. We are not called to look like the rest of the world. We ought to be looking more and more like Jesus. It says in 1 Timothy, this is my will for you, that you be conformed to the image of my son. That we would reflect Jesus. Huh? See, Jesus knew the things of this world. He rose above storms of life. He, was, he would calm you know, you could be in the storm of life and still have a peace that would surpass all understanding. In fact, that's, that's one of the signs. That's one of the spiritual fruits. And this is what really irritates people. How is it that they could be going through what they're going through and still have that peace and still be so loving and still be so cheerful? And why is it that they have a joy that I cannot grab a hold of? Hey, this is what it is to be a follower of Christ. We ought to have different values. Come on, as a husband, you ought to have different values. As a wife, you should have a different value system. That as a mom and as a dad, we don't raise our children the way the rest of the world raises them. Our values are different. We should have different standards. Huh? Not, not, not the moral standard that this world has. Well, everybody else is doing it. Why can't I do it? I mean, no. No. We need to have different morals. Huh? That, that just because everyone else is doing it doesn't give us the right that we do it. Sin. Sin. The wages of sin is death. You know, sin, sin could be happy. It, 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 could be, it could be all right. It could be fun for a little while. And then what happens? I, 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 don't, I don't speak to young children and, and have them t come to me and say, well, when I grow up, I want to I be homeless. I, I want to be a drug addict. I, uh, you know, I want to be a heroin user. Uh, children, children, they have different aspirations. Huh? You speak to them, oh, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a police officer, I want to, you know, all of these things that they would want to do and yet get caught up in a little, you know, hang out with their friends and start with a little smoke in a pot and maybe a little bit of drinking and they get caught up into this thing and because they're young and they don't have the experience, they don't have that understanding. How many funerals haven't I had to do for teenagers this heroin epidemic is just out of control and we're standing by watching the answer is in Christ and Christ alone the answer is in the forgiveness of our sins amen we as Christians need to have a different standard and ultimately as believers, we need to have different objectives. Huh? <laughs> look, at the, look at the things that this world chases after. Huh? The clothes that I'm wearing and the car that I'm driving and the hairstyle that I'm rocking and, you know, my swag and all of everything that, that's important. The portfolio, the career, all of this, you know, money and substance. And all of that is fleeting away doesn't last and then at any given point the market fluctuates the houses burn down the mortgage rates come in at any given point in time everything that you have you can lose if your happiness and if your self-identity is placed on these things then you have no idea of who you are 
you can become so lost based on your goals. Our goals need to be different. They need to be eternal. We have to recognize that we are here just for a hot minute. And so what are we doing while we're here? What are we using our time for? How are we applying the gifts and the talents and the very breath of life that God has breathed in us? Our goals ought to be different. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be working on a series of being different. Today, we're going to speak about being different and having faith in trials. Different. Faith in trials. Next week, we're going to see the different values we have in an unholy culture. And that'll be next week at the Dramatic Hall. The third week, we're going to be speaking about having a different calling in a dark world. And on week four, we're going to wrap it up by having different perspectives in the midst of persecution. Different faith in trials. You know, the world will tell you that trials are bad. Huh? Job, Job had three buddies. And, and the things that he was going through, huh? The boils, children dying, losing property, everything being stripped away from him. His buddies were like, man, yo, you got some hidden sin in your life. What do you do? Who'd you hurt? How'd you deny God? You must have done something. What did you do to, to deserve all of this? The world tells you that trials are bad. Why would God allow you to go through what you're going through? Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter says, So be truly glad. Listen to that. Remember what they were going through? Remember Nero? Remember how they were losing their families, how they were being burned alive at the stake, how they were being fed to lions? The, the, the persecution and the hatred that they were going through at that time, their darkest hour, and Peter's words are to be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. So if you're in the middle middle of a difficult time, can, can I hear you say that my faith is being tested? Is it? Is your faith being tested? Huh? Come on now. <laughs> it says to see that your faith is genuine. So 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 just by you know reasonable deduction, if 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 there's a test to know that your faith is genuine, then that means that there must be faith that is not genuine. Logic. Can we apply some simple logic here? If, if we have to be tested to see that our faith is genuine, then we have to understand that the possibility exists that there is faith that is disingenuine. One of the biggest challenges that I, I come across is, is, is this false faith. Call People that would call themselves Christians and yet have no faith. My sister said it this morning. Faith isn't just believing. Faith isn't just believing. You can believe a lot of uh, uh, false things. Like the earth being flat. Thank you, Miss Myrna. We could could falsely believe things that, you know, people mislead us. Faith isn't believing. Faith is knowing. Knowing. Faith is knowing in your knower that you know that you know that you know something that happens inside of you that nobody can take away from you. It is a reassurance and a confidence that you are being held, that you are called the child of the Most High God, that if God be for you, who can be against you? Hey! 
faith. Faith is a solid reassurance. It's a foundation that cannot be shaken. But there's false faith. False faith. One area of false faith that I can identify is inherited faith. Inherited faith. Well, you know, my dad was a Methodist. My mom was a Baptist. Uh, yeah, yo, you know, I used to go, I was baptized as a baby. You know, yeah, we used to go to church, you know, priesters. Uh, Every Christmas, Easter, we would go and show up. You know, we, 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 were, we were raised in a Christian home. Yeah, 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 no, I, I, I'm a Christian. But unfortunately, not sure if you even believe at all. Or if you do, what is, what is it that you believe in? A faith that is not genuine. It's not yours. Just because mom was a Christian and had a you know, prayerful life and a devotional life and, and truly was a woman of faith doesn't automatically, God doesn't have grandchildren. The Bible says he has children, sons and daughters, not grandchildren. You can't acquire a faith just because mom and dad had it. It's got to be yours. It's got to be personal. It's got to be real. Amen. Can't inherit faith. There's another faith. Shallow. Shallow faith. So many churches today, they're, they're, they're a mile wide and only an inch deep. Huh? They, they like to tickle the ears and they give you messages of inspiration and they quote the Bible on all of the good stuff, but they don't turn around and tell you about all of the correction. They don't turn around and tell you, you know, yes, salvation is free. It's a free gift from God of our sins. Salvation is free. But the kingdom, there's sacrifice. The kingdom will cost you. There's a surrender and a self-discipline and a self-control that has to come in appropriating your faith. Jesus teaches about shallow faith in the gospel according to Matthew. He speaks about a sower who was sowing seeds. And he was putting seeds out and seeds out. And, you know, they took a little root, a little shoot, a little flower, kind of popped up. Hey, I see some fruit. There's some fruit. I see, I, see, I see a branch. But the roots, they don't go deep enough. And then the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire and the want of things and substance begins to choke that word out. Next thing you know, that little shoot, that little plant then dies. The fact of the matter is that even here, in church, some of you, six months from now, may not be here anymore. Statistics. I'm just speaking math. I don't want to be a prophet of doom and gloom. I, I pray for each and every one of you individually that God would grab a hold of you and make himself so real, empower you, and fill you with his Holy Spirit. It is my desire. It is my prayer. And trust me, I cry before God for you. But somehow, some way, statistically, we know six months from now, there's going to be some of you that aren't going to be here. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I was, I was uh, out with Eunice. Uh, we were doing uh, something formal, and so I had the collar on. I had my suit on, and, you know, and uh, we were in Target. <laughs> Young lady turns around and comes up to me and says, Hey, Father, <laughs> could, you, could you please pray for, you know, and I thought, how awesome, you know. I said, of course I would. And, and I prayed with her. For some reason, people, you know, they know you're in the work of the ministry and people, they just come and they confess things. It's just incredible. People go, oh, you know, I, 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 went, I went to one of your services and, you know, the worship was great. The message was powerful, is impactful. Yeah. But I haven't been back. I know I should go to church. I know I should be there. But, Brother Paul, 
I'm busy with school. Got student loans on top of me. I got car payments. I'm, I'm working something out in this relationship. It's bad. My work schedule is off. I, I, I enjoy a little partying too much. I, I don't want to feel like a hypocrite. Oh my God, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend and I just feel so guilty. I, I secretly or hiddenly smoke pot and, and I just don't want to feel like a hypocrite. I, I feel so guilty. You can't fight a full-time devil being a part-time Christian. Can't do it. He's been roaming around this earth, and the Bible says he's creeping and lurking like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, just waiting for the opportune time for you to let down your guard so he could come and bounce upon you and devour you. That's what the Bible describes. So if we've got that type of an adversary, why do we feel like we could be so lackadaisical? Just trying to be comfortable. Go in from one day in to one day out. How can you combat seven days of worldly influence with one hour worth of church? <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. And so, so if you're in a place and if you're in a position and you're in the midst of a trial, this is the moment time where you press in and God, bring me closer. That's why we have the Monday night. That's why we have Tuesday night. That's why we have Thursday night. That's why we have Saturday morning. Fellas, man, come on. We had a couple of new brothers, right? How was, how was the men's fellowship Saturday morning? Amazing. Come on. We need to become saturated with the word of God. We have to find ourselves. Yeah, but you know what, Pastor? You got some weird people in church. Yeah, you got some weird people in church. Come on. You got weird people everywhere. That's all right. God loves them just the way. And if you turn around and say, you know what, but Pastor, there, there really isn't a weird person in my group. Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> you, you don't know if that person is you. <laughs> yeah, allow someone that may be a little off, like, like, like turn you off. Come on. Come on. Variety is the spice of life, man. I love weird people. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I find them so interesting. I want to sit down. Why? Try to unpackage it. <laughs> like what? Not much. Not much. Uh, uh, Paulette posed a question. What's the difference between weird and different? And the fact of the matter is that there isn't much. Because, you know, even though we may have weird people amongst ourselves, the truth is that we are all weird to the world. You have to be a part of his church. The Bible says, do not forsake the congregating, the coming together of the brethren. Come on. When we isolate ourselves and we're left to our own desires and our own thoughts, we're so limited. And that's the place that the adversary could come in and thoughts and the chatter and, and, and all of the lies and the deceits and the feelings and the emotions begin to cloud everything out. If we don't come together, come on. How am I going to know that, you know, I, I, got, I got something in my ear or a little spinach in my teeth? Like I, I need to be around brothers that are going to be able to lift me up when when crisis hits my household and my domestic family is in crisis that i have a church family that can surround us and support us this isn't church just to come to a place on a sunday morning we're church 24 7 man how does god use your trials how does God use your trials? I got two points. Two points. The first point is that trials reveal your faith. Trials 
reveal your faith. Uh, seventh verse of First Peter chapter 1. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Huh? A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Come on, I'll say that one more time. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. How do you know if you pass the course? How do you know if you understand the material? You just went through an entire semester, and guess what? At the end of it, you got to take a test. The test is going to reveal whether or not you understood the material. Did you capture it? Have you retained it? Can you apply it? Huh? You're not going to pass the class unless you can prove that. Your test, your faith has to be tested. And after it's been tested, then you can be trusted. Then you can graduate and get the certification. Huh? This was, this was Peter 20 years earlier. The guy who was writing this, this guy, this guy 20 years earlier, if we look in the gospel according to Luke in the 22nd chapter, Right around the 31st verse, Simon, Simon, Jesus is talking to him. Simon Peter was his name. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You know what that sifting is? You know what, agriculturally, I think I've mentioned this before, but, 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 but a farmer would sift the wheat, and that means that they would bring in all of the wheat and bring it onto the threshing floor. And he'd take a winnowing fork. You know, the little pitchfork, you know, the little, little devil with the... Just. Take the pitchfork and, and would scoop it and bounce it up and down. The wind would come and would blow the shaft away. The wheat has substance. It was weighty. The shaft looks just like the wheat, but there's nothing to it. And so they would take it and just kind of, the wind would blow. The shaft would be blown with the wind, and the wheat would stay. Satan is trying to sift us. Those trials in life, those bumpy roads, that doctor's report, that financial situation, huh? that physical ailment, all of that, sifting. What's going what's gonna to remain behind? Are you going to be blown like the wind? Or are you going to be able to remain and stand with your substance? Faith is to be tested. And Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Hallelujah. Who knows? Jesus tells Simon Peter, and when you have turned back, when you have turned back, what does that say? Jesus had a foreknowledge. Jesus knew that Peter was going to slip. He knew that Peter was, his faith was going to be tested. He was going to be brought down and, and subjected. And he said, I'm going to pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, there's going to come a point in time when you're going to doubt. There's going to come a point in time that you're going to feel so weak. There's going to be a point in time that the trial is so dark, so heavy, so impossible. And you're going to turn back. And when you turn back, there's a purpose in all of it. So that when you come back and your faith is tested and now trusted, strengthen your brothers. The things that you're going through, God is working this thing out. He's working this thing out. He's going to get you through it. And when he gets you through it, it's not just so that you can be set free. It's not just so that you can feel liberated. It's that you can know your faith to be tested so that then you can carry it forth and share it and 
strengthen your brothers. You know, in the early years, uh, if we did a character study on Peter, you know, he was somewhat obnoxious. He was impulsive. He was cocky and somewhat inconsistent. Huh? When, when we see those times, you're going to deny me, Peter. Not so, Lord, never that. When, when, they, when they had him in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers came forth, what did Peter do? Huh? He pulled out the sword. He cut, cut the soldier's ear off. I mean, this guy was an impulsive guy. He, it's not that he was a scaredy cat. I mean, he pulled out a blade. I mean, he was ready to defend Christ. In the later years, as we're reading this book, this epistle, he shows to himself to be faithful, devoted, patient, and bold. God used his trials to develop Peter, to strengthen Peter, to equip Peter, and ultimately to commission Peter. One of his greatest trials was when he denied Christ three times. You're going to deny me, Peter. Never, Lord. I'll stand with you. I'll die for you, Lord. And at the first moment, it wasn't a soldier. It wasn't a dictator. It's a little girl. It's a little girl. Excuse me, sir. Aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? Little girl. Come on, how cute, how pretty. Bold, rambunctious. Pull out the sword, Peter. Denied Christ. The Bible says that even at the moment that he denied him, that he looked up and Christ was there and he made eye contact with Jesus and Jesus saw him and he saw the Lord and the Christ and the fulfillment of his denial. Could you imagine how Peter must have felt? <sighs> Broken. Falling short. Up until the point of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and it was there when Jesus resurrected upon the shore and he saw Peter and he had some fish and he had some loaves and the disciples came in they realized they're talking to Jesus Peter do you love me <laughs> of course I love you Lord I don't think when he denied him he didn't love him don't think that a moment of weakness is a moment of wickedness in your life. Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Church, do you love Jesus? Feed his sheep. Peter went from a quivering, fearful place to a place that he was willing to die as a martyr. Listen to what Jesus, Jesus' stepbrother, James. He, we don't, we, during Jesus' life, while he was alive, James wasn't a big uh, 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 propagator of the Lord. He wasn't a support network for Jesus. You know, they grew up together. What? Uh, I'm pretty sure that James must have thought that Jesus was a little, come on, who's got brothers and sisters? Come on, what do you think about your brothers and sisters? They, what, what do they think? They think you're nuts. What do you think James thought about Jesus? Woo! Huh? <laughs> Until after he did what he said he was going to do. After his craziness manifested itself to a physical fulfillment that upon the third day he rose from the dead. He solved the riddle of the grave. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. Do you know what that did to James? First chapter in the second verse. <laughs> listen, listen. Consider it pure joy. Not just a little joy. Not just a little. 
He said, consider it a pure joy, an inexplicable, undescribable, unearthly joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of all kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Come on, that testing of your faith is producing the endurance. That testing of your faith is building you up, strengthening you up. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Are you wrecked with pain? I promise you. I promise you. There's purpose in your pain. God never wastes a hurt. He is always in it if we were to recognize him, acknowledge him. Come on, if God be for you, who can be against you? Your trial is producing in you something far greater than the circumstances that you're in. Your trial is revealing your faith. My last point is that the trials draw you closer to God. Your trials draw you closer to God. Verses 8 and 9 of First uh, Peter. Remember who he's speaking to. These Christians. You love God even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It's not that God is going to save you from your trial. The good news is that God saves you from your sin. That the salvation of your soul is guaranteed. Oh, but wait, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say that God will not give you more than you can handle? Huh? God won't give you more than you can handle? Isn't that within the Scriptures? Show me where that says that. Because the fact of the matter is that's a misinterpretation of a Scripture that says that God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But your trial? It's got to be a part of your faith. The fact is that I believe God allows you to be, be pressed beyond what you can handle because that's where the growth is. You know, the funny thing is when you go to the gym, you, you want to lift. You're, you're lifting weight. You're putting resistance upon your body. You're on that bench press. And, you know, you see the guys, right? They're like, all right. <laughs> Okay, you got me? You got me? All right, I got this. I got this. That's one. That's two. You got that resistance. <laughs> I've worked out with Gino. <laughs> he does lightweight, a lot of reps. Don't even try to twist it. He's already big. <laughs> the maximum amount of resistance brings the maximum amount of growth. You want to get big? You got to touch big weight. And the, the fact of the matter is you got to touch weight that you really can't even handle on your own. That's why you got a spotter that's there. You're going to push to the point of failure. And when you can't do it anymore, you got somebody that's going to be there spotting you and say, just a little more, just a little more. And then just take what you can. And you get those next three reps in, boom. That's where your growth is. That's where your growth is. That's where you get your strength. Guess who's spotting you? Come on. Guess who's spotting you? You're afraid to touch that weight? That's because you don't know who's got your back. 
I'm going to take it. I'm going to grab it. Yo, G, you got me? I'm I'm, going to do it. I'm going to do it. Does it hurt? Yeah. Yeah, it hurts. Is it hard? (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. It's difficult. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Are you sore? Huh? How many days you you're recuperating? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. But when you come out of it, huh? When you come out of it, where's the bathroom? Over there. Yeah, I'm looking good, feeling strong. You don't want to run from that resistance. You don't want to run from that trial. Church, the things that you're going through right now is not so that you can run from it. It's so that you can embrace it. As you grow to depend on God, you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy because God brings you out of it and makes you better and stronger at the other end. You have to trust that. Peter went from Petros, a little pebble, And Jesus turned around and changed his name to the rock. Jesus is real. And he is alive and he is able. And he wants to strengthen you. He wants to equip you. And then he wants to commission you to carry out his objective. What was for Peter is for you, church. My faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is. And I know who God is. Do you know who he is? If you would just bow your heads this morning, close your eyes. 